You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one and all to episode 246 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And today we are discussing some uh, two different topics. We're discussing the Tesseract mailbox. Our friend Andrew writes in. And gives me a little bit of grief about the dual kit stuff that I said last week. So we will discuss that. But the main topic for tonight and the only other segment is uh, pretty long. It's 20 some minutes long. And it's several strange rabbit holes in the nerd culture that I've been down. Um, I've found the secret origins of a defunct comic book from a company that never existed. And um, I experienced a game or I checked out a game that is over 30 years old. So that's pretty cool, too. It's an MMO of all things, and it's still up and running. So just very, very weird stuff that I wanted to discuss and um, just things that have been going on. And I figured, well, let's take a break from Warhammer this week and just talk about some things that I've been up to. Something else I want to mention is that we're brought to you today by Panhandle3D.etsy.com for 3D printed um, uh, terrain and things like that, as well as engraved tumblers and dice trays and all that jazz, as well as my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the show and GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and uh, neoprene mats and STL files and all sorts of stuff. Thanks, everybody, for keeping the lights on. So what have I been up to? I'm still getting over this weird virus that I had. So uh, um, I am I still got to keep pausing to cough, but uh, mostly 99% better, all better pretty much. And I've been working a lot on the settlement mode for brutality. And um, what else? And what else? I went to the gaming club this week and um, I ended up playing James, which is ironic because we live like four miles from each other. But we drove 30 miles to play each other at the club. But it's cool because we like playing each other anyway. And it's been a long time since we played each other at the club. So we drove an hour round trip to play each other when we could have just played at my house. But whatever. So we hung out with the friends. And um, James, I started out strong with a huge lead on James. Um, I played my Night Haunt. And he played his uh, Daughters of Cain. And we messed with the deployment where half of them had to deploy on like um, the right side and half mine had to deploy on the table side closest to me. And then the same thing for him was the table side closest to him and then his right side. And uh, then we had scattered objectives and whoever was winning in points, one of their objectives would randomly go away and just some neat stuff. And um, ended up turn one, I got like seven points and he got two. But over the course of the game... The uh, Daughters of Cain really pack a punch, and my Night Haunt slowly deteriorated. So he ended up beating me um, 18 to 14 at the end of the game. It was the very last turn that he surpassed me. He got like five points or something and surpassed me. But it was a really fun game. We both had fun. And that's basically all that I've been up to besides work and that sort of thing. So the only other thing is settlement mode that um, I've, I'm planning on having 50 missions and each mission has four twists on it. And then each twist has a win and a loss condition. So it's a lot of different uh, variation there. And I'm, I've done 38 out of 50 of the missions. I'm working on that every morning and, and most nights as well. And something else that really struck my fancy. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast yet or not. But um, I really like the idea of game books. If you ever played them, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure, but you have stats and you get items and you roll dice and all that. Well, 
I had like an idea. Now, making a game book would be just super easy, barely an inconvenience, wouldn't have an issue whatsoever. I could make a game book with my eyes closed. But as you probably know, um, like me not using granular points for brutality or making it open to making your own models or whatever, I like to make my stuff so that it's also a challenge creatively. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if you could have a game book where you did not roll dice, it was diceless, but it did depend on your stats, and everything came out logically, but there is a random number mechanic, which I will not explain right now, but it is a random number mechanic, and that helps decide a bunch of stuff, and... Um, and you could play it literally wherever you go. You could be waiting in the doctor's office. You could be on the train. You could be at your lunch break and you could play this RPG as you go. And for me, choices are a big thing. A lot of choose your own adventures don't give you many choices. They would give you two or three choices. One of them inevitably was murder for you. And then the other two were like basically the same outcome, you know, it kept looping together. Well, this if you think of that as a loop that loops into each other, think of uh, mine more as a clover leaf with a hundred clover leaves on it. You know, like a clover leaf roundabout for uh, turning on and off of highways. Well, um, these loop into each other and then come back out and loop into another one and come back out. And your decision makes you go here and then does this. And then if you choose to do this, you go that way. If you choose to go this way, you go that way. And it's going to be a um, uh, hex book. Uh, a hex map on the back of the book and the back of the book is going to be dry erase or a wet erase so that you've got your stats and everything on the back put a paper clip on the side of the sheet to match like your to mark like your hit points or um, your skill points or whatever and it's going to be pretty fun i've already filled out um probably what would equi equate to five or ten percent of the book so far and um it's been quite fun matter of fact i ran it through with um, some of my kids and my oldest daughter was like, actually, I'd play that. So that was a ringing endorsement from my oldest daughter. But anyway, so that's what I've been working on when I don't feel like working on settlement mode and then settlement mode when I don't feel like working on the Diceless RPG game book. And that's what I've been up to. So let's continue on with the rest of the podcast. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. This, of course, is time for the Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have a letter from multi-shorehammer champion Andrew. And Andrew writes, Hi, Pimp. In response to your concerns about dual kits, I feel that when they release new Temple Guard models, they will be bigger and more armored than the new Saurus models. You know, that very well may be true, Andrew. Um, I'm shocked that they didn't do that with this big release, but I guess they had enough new models that they didn't have to redo them. Um, but I would fully expect in the future to get uh, larger Temple Guard models, probably in between a Saurus and a Croxagore. Anyway, he continues, they definitely aren't shying away from dual kits, considering that the new Skink Riders and Croxagores are both dual kits. Now, that's new to me. I did not know that the Skink Riders were a dual kit. Um, I would be interested to know exactly what the dual kit is for the Skink Rider, because uh, I was upset to see that the Saurus Knights was actually removed from the website and removed from the Codex. So I'm, I'm pretty shocked because Saurus Knights were kind of like a staple of um, the Seraphim army. Also, of course, I own like a dozen Saurus Knights. So that's a little upsetting. I might end up tearing off the, uh, the Sauruses and just putting Skinks as riders and just making those my new whatever riders. But, but whatever. 
Um, <clears throat> he writes, are you teaching everyone 10th edition since the full rules are leaked? Children of the future, so you better get on it. Not that it is vastly different from 9th, accepting psychic phase, morale, and characters joining units. I hope to get to the new game place tomorrow or next week, Andrew. And you know what? He did. He did get to Warhammer Night. That's the truth. That was a prophecy as told by Andrew that did come true. So maybe we should listen to more of his prophecies. As far as 10th edition, um, I'm feeling really lazy right now. I think I'm just going to let the gaming group teach me how to play 10th edition instead of me doing the usual of teaching everyone else 10th edition. I don't know, man. I, I feel like I'm just getting older and older. I don't really feel like learning a new edition. I certainly will. I mean, I'm still I'm not going to stop playing 40K. But I'm, everyone is so hyped about 10th edition. And I'm like, eh, okay. It's a new edition. I mean, it's, you know, I've I've been through... This is my 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth. This is my 6th edition that I've been through. And I'm like, eh, they're going to change some things. Some things are going to be the same. Eh, I'm really not that concerned. Everyone else is like so excited about the leaks and all that. I'm like, eh, I don't really care. I am kind of interested to see how the armies play and the new balance of power and, and things like that. I'm, I'm moderately interested. But I am far from, I would say, excited to the for the new edition because I just... I don't know. I think also I'm enjoying Age of Sigmar more than 40k as of late. Now, maybe there's a chance the 10th edition will change that because, you know, I was really turned off by 9th edition in a lot of ways. Although still, I enjoyed 9th edition just fine. Um, I What I ended up doing is just changing the way I played and just ignoring half the stuff that was in 9th edition. But um, anyway, so thank you for writing in, Andrew. And um, I think you're right. They are doing some dual kits, but it surprises me when a lot of their dual kits are not dual kits, you know, it just, it surprised me kind of like they did the same thing with the, um, soul blight grave Lords. They redid the new skeleton warriors or whatever they're called the skeleton guys, but then they're keeping the old weird looking grave guard and the new skeleton guys are way larger than the old grave guard. So that's just weird to me that the old grave guard are sk still those skinny old skeletons and meanwhile, your new skeletons are much broader. They're even on a bigger base. Like, they just look so much cooler than your supposed elites. They did the exact same thing as they did with the uh, Temple Guard and whatever. So, I just don't... It's not really that I thought they were shying away from kits, so much as I have no idea why they don't make every single kit a multi-kit. It just makes sense. It cannot be that much harder to do. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Andrew. You guys can reach me at pempcron at gmail.com, and you can also reach me at facebook.com slash pempcron or on Instagram at pempcron with no second P. All right, I will get on to the next segment. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pempcron. Well, 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 it's Real Talk with the Pempcron, and I'm happy you're here listening to me. Now, today is a little bit different of a topic than normal. You know, this is the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, right? But sometimes I do like to venture off into some weird and uncharted territory that I don't normally cover that isn't wargaming or hobby or Warhammer related. And over the last few months, I've been accumulating these little weird anecdotes and rabbit holes and just weird things I've encountered um, that are not related to the Warhammer hobby. And I figured, you know what? dive into this stuff and just find some weird nerd related things that I've encountered. So the first thing I wanted to mention is that I discovered 
And some of you may actually know about this game. It's called Legends of Terrace. It's T-E-R-R-I-S. And um, you, I've mentioned a couple months ago that I have a subscription service that I get that is two old RPG or gaming magazines each month for basically the price of what current magazines would be nowadays. And um, it, I've truly enjoyed it. I've gotten, I've gotten a couple magazines from the late 70s gotten a bunch from the 80s i've gotten some from the 90s and i've gotten some from the early 2000s and um this particular magazine that i got was dragon magazine the um uh the Dra uh, dungeons and dragons magazine and it was from 2001 so this is uh quite some time ago 22 years ago and i was reading it looking through the articles and all that and i came across an ad for something called legends of terrace it says, adventure with thousands, take control of your destiny, build your own legend, the best interactive thinking experience on the net, 10 million game hours played, over 150,000 player characters created, log on, download, and log in. So it's interesting because um, this is just another one of those old, old, old MMOs from the early 2000s, the late 90s. And I tried to do some digging on this because it's got a pretty cool illustration of this, you know, badass guy with a bloody hand and it's all bandaged up and he's in this really cool armor and behind him is like a wizard and behind that is like an archer and um, it just seems like a really neat game. And I'm like, oh man, certainly that game is not around anymore, right? From 22 years ago. Well, I searched it up on YouTube. I was like, oh man, I, I gotta see what this game was like because it's just, I don't know, it piqued my interest. I'd never heard of it. So I looked for it on YouTube and there is not a single video, not one single video covering this game, Legends of Terrace. And I'm like, oh man, that must have been a short-lived game, you know? So when I Google Legends of Terrace, Really, the only thing that comes up besides maybe one article is the website legendsofterrace.com. And I'm like, there's no way this game is still going on. Like, there's there's absolutely no way. But I decide, you know what, I'm going to click on it anyway, because truly there is no coverage of this game on the Internet at all. So I decide to click on it. And sure enough, the game is still up and running. Can you believe that this game is still going strong 22 years later? Now. Whether or not it's actually going strong is a different story, but I did want to tell you what I found when I logged in. I could not help but make a uh, make an account, sign up, create a character, and all this stuff. So come to find out, Legends of Terrace is a completely text-based game. But what's neat about it is like you're thinking, oh, well, a text-based game, there's no graphic interface. There really is no graphical interface. Everything is text. It pops up in several different windows that you can customize, like your stats and your equipment and all of that stuff. But it's a, several different windows pop up in your browser and you can, you know, readjust the size and move them around however you want. You also have an overworld map, which is not a map at all. It's actually a series. It's like a black square. And wherever you are, it's like your local map. Um, you, there's little diamonds, like a diamond, and then a line connected to the right to another diamond, and then another line connected to the right to another diamond. And then if you move over to the, if you click the next diamond, it will describe what that room or that area is like, who's there, what you can interact with, all that. And then if you click the next diamond, then that might bre break open to an upward path and a downward path or maybe a continued right path. 
and now you're starting to see that these are actually hubs of the world map. There's no graphical interface to it. You don't see trees and all of that. But it does do a pretty good job of actually describing what the weather's like and who's there and all of that. Another interesting thing about this game is that there is no hand-holding whatsoever. So you can pick up um, missions as much as you want. You can complete them. You can do whatever. There are certain missions you can complete every day and, and things like that. But what was really neat is that when you're thinking about a text adventure, you're thinking of like a choose-your-own-adventure book or something like that, and you're thinking that it's static, right? If I click on the next diamond and I go there and there's like a peddler, you know, with a merchant cart and whatever, it's going to describe that area. It's going to describe where I can go. Like there's a door to the, the fighters guild or whatever. And then I can also type in, oh, I interact with this guy. And that's how you interact with everything is you literally type in commands, equip dagger, equip dagger, right hand, um, stab enemy, that sort of thing, um, inspect chest, um, disarm trap on chest, whatever. And But you got to make sure you've got stuff equipped either in your left or right hand, and then you have to describe how you do it. So by modern standpoints, it is a real chore. But it was so interesting to go back to a game that is really does not appear to have changed at all in 22 years. And there was actually people online playing this game. And it's weird because it's had no coverage whatsoever online, which I was like, this is such a neat rabbit hole to go in. And I, I went in there talking to everybody and uh, there was like five people online was all there was. And of course it stays online by the whales. So there's maybe a hundred people, 150 people that pay monthly to play this game. And then they keep the servers up and all of that. And the servers go completely down when um, the guy that runs it, there's a single guy that runs it, to my understanding, because people were telling me. And um, when he's got to do site maintenance or whatever, he's like, hey, it's going to be closed Monday from noon to five. You know, you can't play then or whatever. But before I get further into the actual community of people, I uh, I actually got off topic just a little bit. So you're sitting there in the street, let's say there's a merchant with a cart and all that, and there's a Fighter's Guild door there. While I just sat there, the world continues to move around me. So you see this, there's like a local chat where it tells you, oh, you see a vendor, you see a this and that, there's a crow screeching in the, you know, on the top of the building, blah, blah, blah. But then as I sat there, on a certain timer, it said a guard walks past and eyes you and then the guard leaves the map. And then I continued to sit there. And then a few minutes later, it said a guard comes from the east where he was originally coming from the west. A guard comes from the east and eyes you suspiciously and continues west. And then like a few minutes later, I was standing there trying to get my bearings on what to do. But then a few minutes later, the guard comes from the west and, and eyes you suspiciously and heads to the right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they have they have replicated the idea of a regular MMO, the visual components you'd normally see. They have actually made that happen via text as if it were happening visually. That, that is really cool. So I decided to uh, follow the guard and the guard had this path of where he was going like four diamonds is what I'll call them so that you understand what I'm saying four sections of the map he'd go all the way east and he'd turn around and go all the way west and you could turn around and go all the way east and i i talked to him and he would give me you know information or whatever he was an npc 
but it was so cool. It was really, really cool. Um, the graphic interface really doesn't exist at all. It's all text and it's not super impressive. But what I was impressed by is that they, uh, going back to the community and everything, they still have regular updates. Can you believe this? 22 years later with a, a player base of probably barely over 100 people, and they still have regular campaigns updating and added and all of that, and it's still being developed two decades later. And come to find out, this game actually started, I didn't get a, a, an exact date, but this game started like in the mid-90s, like 1994. So we're actually talking nearly 30 years old, this thing is. And that is insane to me. Anyway, the people were super friendly. Um, people came and gone, went and, and logged on and, and whatever. But um, I got talking to one of the admins and I was like, so why do you keep playing this game? This is just so weird to me. And he was like, oh, well, it's actually really fun. I've got these characters. He's got multiple characters that he's leveled up over the years. And he said that there's a real narrative drive to it because as you form relationships with these NPCs, they treat you differently. And if you join certain guilds, they treat you differently. And it's a very small community of um, real players, but there's a vast, like tens of thousands of NPC characters. And the more missions you do for them, the more they like you and they'll give you better deals or whatever. It seems very, very interactive. And he said the narrative is um, what he was doing. So, and uh, there was one other person that I spoke to briefly, and they said the same thing, that they really enjoy the community and they enjoy the, um, the narrative aspect of it. And it felt real. And the admin, I said, well, what are you doing? Like, like actively, what are you doing right now? And he's like, oh, I'm in the middle of um, hunting griffins. And I'm like, really? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he apparently was way far off. This map, by the way, is absolutely massive. So um, I was just in the very beginning town. And I didn't play it that long because I had other places to go and, and, and whatever. You know I'm a busy person. And I'm not going to sit there and, and play a text game per se. But if I had more free time in my life, I would probably start playing that game. It was just such a neat novelty. Um, so, hey, if any of you are interested in a text-based game that's been around for longer than some of you have been alive, then check out legendsofterrace.com. And this is probably, this segment that goes on YouTube will probably be the only segment on YouTube that even mentions this game. So I just thought that was a pretty cool little rabbit hole. Do you want to hear another rabbit hole that I thought was neat that I went down? You know, in like the early 90s, um, lead-based miniatures were being phased out and all of that. Well, um, it, apparently it was a big um, fight in the miniature wargaming hobby, and people were very, very upset about lead miniatures being banned. So I was in my Dragon magazine, right, from, um, I'm trying to see, it got it in my hand right here, I'm trying to find out what year this is, 1992. This is the year 1992, and Dragon Magazine has an editorial column on, is there no lead gaming in your future? And hopefully reading this, it's not very long at all, hopefully reading this will uh, entertain you, because, you know, at least us modern audiences, we're like, oh wow, lead is obviously poisonous, right? And lead is obviously bad, so why would you have lead instead of, like, white metal or whatever? Well... This is a very interesting and passionate argument in favor of lead. And I just thought it was really, really cool. If you want to skip ahead, if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead like two minutes or something. It's not going to be a long description. But I just thought this was so funny and so interesting. So here we go. Let's read this guy's editorial column. 
I will uh, cut out anything that I, that I can that won't hurt his uh, narrative here. He writes, I wanted to remind all American readers to continue writing to their congressional representative or senator. As of May, when this column was written, the bill to ban lead miniatures is still active and kicking in our illustrious halls of government. An amendment was added to the Senate version that blah, 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 our hobby has been targeted by environmentalists because they feel our activities are frivolous and that we are a weak-spirited group that will go down without active opposition. An organization of game manufacturers, Gamma, is fighting for our calls. Without frequent, eloquent, and massive backing of letters and calls to our representatives, Gamma will be well-viewed as a group representing only the figure-making companies. If we are seen as weak, bill provisions can always be changed to garner the environmental vote in the election year. Our hobby is not the only one being threatened. Passage of this bill would damage, if not mortally wound, the model railroad industry, which uses lead as weights and detail parts. Another industry that would be hurt is the dollhouse industry, in which lead is used for fine detail miniatures and as stiffeners for food packages. I don't even know what that means, for food packages. Both of these groups are also arguing strongly for the retention of lead, and these uses for lead should be mentioned in any correspondence you send. And then he continues a little bit. Hold on, let me skip ahead. Here are some reasons why I support the defeat of this part of the bill. Um, Lead is one of the mediums used for super detailing. Because it is liquid when poured into a mold, the medium almost always fills the mold cavity completely. Most lead miniatures are made out of soft lead that allows you to bend and shape the figures to give you unique results. It is also easy to clean and trim lead figures. Number two, lead is a cheap medium. Plastic requires pieces of large, expensive equipment to be made, for it must be molded under pressure. Epoxy is more expensive in the long run as it also needs pressure and frequently has air bubbles. Number three, lead is a convenient medium. Many plastic figures are made with a flexible plastic to which it is almost impossible to get any paint to stick, even with primer. The paint then flakes off when the figure is flexed. The assembly of these figures usually also requires a special strong-smelling adhesive that is manufactured for use with plastics because of their smooth surfaces. This is just, I don't know why this tickles me so bad, but it does. Number four, lead is a natural product, despite some of its bad reputation. It is mined, smelted, then shipped with a slag usable for fill. Lead is mixed with other natural items to reach the composition needed for miniatures. Lead fumes are given off at all molten stages, but this can be contained by hoods. Plastic, however, uses a rapidly diminishing resource. Oil or an oil byproduct is a main ingredient. The manufacturing process creates several byproducts that have no real use. The finished product does not hold detail well. So there you have it, guys. Plastic doesn't hold detail well, and you can't even prime and paint it or the paint flakes off. This just really, really tickled me. And then he goes on to tell people to call their representative, etc., etc. And I just thought it was so darn funny. Of course, you know, that was real to them back then. And of course, plastic, I'm sure back then did suck. I'm sure it did have low detail. I'm sure it did hold plastic crappy. You know, have you ever tried to paint a Green Army Man? That type of plastic that they use for that, you really paint flakes right off. So maybe miniatures that were made in plastic back then had the same issue. I have no idea. But I just thought it was funny that this guy's vehemently arguing in favor of a uh, brain-damaging neurological toxin to be made out of their miniatures. Um, I know at some point in that editorial, I must have skipped over it. He's like, if you're concerned about handling lead, then just wear gloves. 
<laughs> it's just such a funny thing to hear someone say. So, anyway, that was that little anecdote. And I've got one last one that I thought was interesting. Have you guys ever heard of a show called Bob? I feel like I had heard that at some point in my childhood, but apparently it only had two seasons. And apparently it was kind of a disaster. Why would I be mentioning an old sitcom from the mid to early 90s? Well, I gotta tell you, I like to go to the flea market, which is relatively nearby, and my son and I like to buy the cringiest comics we can possibly find, okay? Just whatever, from whatever make, whatever brand, whatever, anything that seems like it'll be cringy. And I picked up this magazine called Mad Dog, or this comic book named Mad Dog, and it's got this guy, and he's so typically 90s. I mean, the long brown hair, the scruffy beard, and he's got spikes on his shoulder pad, and he's got a leather jacket, and he he's just... It's like Unleash the Beast or something is what it said on the front of the cover. And I bought Mad Dog number one. And he literally is snarling. He's and we read the comic and he's literally snarling and like biting people. And it's, it's just so dumb. It's like he doesn't follow by the rules. He's such a vigilante. And you might wonder what this comic book has to do with a random sitcom that only had two seasons called Bob. Well, halfway through this Mad Dog comic is another comic. There's two comics. One you read from one end, uh, like the back cover on, and the other one you read from the front cover on. Well, if you flip the back cover over, it actually has another Mad Dog comic, Mad Dog number one. And these are, for, these are made by Marvel Comics, by the way. But weirdly enough, they say Ace Comics in the corner, uh, the uh, corner opposite of the Marvel Comics. And I'm like, what is this? Ace Comics, was that an imprint of... Marvel, or what was it, right? Well, if you flip it over, all of a sudden, it's a very campy, like, 1960s, like, Golden Age or Silver Age comic called Mad Dog, and this guy looks like a complete idiot. He's got these giant ears, which I guess are supposed to be dog ears, but they look like bat ears. And he's got a purple spandex outfit with a giant orange M, and then he's got, um, uh, Brave Boy is his, uh, sidekick it's this kid that looks a lot like Bucky but he's in a red outfit and um, his name is Brave Boy and it's like Brave Boy the bravest boy in the world or whatever and then they also have a dog uh, I forget what the dog's name is but the dog has um, uh, like a shirt on and a mask and if you read it it's obviously intentionally supposed to be super hokey super old-fashioned and honestly I greatly enjoyed this half of the comic more than the edgy, over-the-top Mad Dog in the beginning of the comic. But once again, why did Marvel make a comic that was an edgy Mad Dog on one side, and the other half was this campy, old-style Mad Dog, which are the same character with the same name, but wildly different? And um, the cartoon Mad Dog, the cartoony one that's like the Silver Age, he had a completely different attitude, and he's like, oh, whippersnapper, and oh, you know my stars and had all these really corny things to him. And the storyline was way corny. So I looked this up because I'm like, what is this comic? And why are there two versions of the same character? And, and what's the deal with all this? And come to find out Marvel comics only made six issues, six double-sided issues of this mad dog comic and ACE comics doesn't exist, which is even more confusing because well, okay, this is not a Marvel character. And they made a fictional comic book brand logo on the cover 
And I'm so confused what's going on. So I look further into this, and this was actually a comic book based off of this sitcom called Bob. And I think it was Bob Newhart, I think, was the, the actor's name. He's a famous older actor. I think that was his name. And apparently, the whole premise of this sitcom is that this old comic superhero artist now does greeting cards. And he had this famous character called Mad Dog and the, the Bravest Boy or whatever his name is. And then he gets brought in to revitalize his comic by Ace Comics, which is a fictional one on the cover of the comic. And Ace Comics, of course, is in the 90s and everything's rad and everything's extreme and, and all this. And a lot of it seems kind of outdated. It's played for laughs or whatever. But the version, the cartoony campy version that's in my comic of Mad Dog is what he originally made. And then they wanted to update Mad Dog to be extreme. And this is the other half of the comic is the extreme 90s version they wanted him to change his character into. So it's so weird. It's just so odd. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this for? Like, I get the sitcom. Okay, the sitcom is basically like, you know, your normal dad, his wife. Uh, I think they've got a child, whatever. We only watched one episode of it, and it's on YouTube. But it's so weird that Marvel, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to tie into this TV show and make a comic book about a TV show about comic books. And did comic readers watch the Bob show? And did the Bob Show viewers go buy the comic? I just feel like this would not cross over very well. So anyway, it only lasted six issues. Wow, what a surprise. And um, what's even stranger is, is that the first season of the, the Bob Show had like a certain cast. And then the second season, they basically fired all the cast except for the main guy, Bob. And then had like a whole new cast. And then it got canceled. So... What a strange, weird thing from our past, from 30 years ago, that I stumbled upon because of my old magazines and uh, and because of my in in enjoyment of old comics. It's just so strange to me. And the, the last anecdote I forgot to mention about the uh, Legends of Terrace is the guy's like, how did you hear about us? And I'm like, well, that's an interesting story. I heard about you from a 2001 Dragon magazine. And he's like, are you serious? <laughs> like, yes, correct. I guess I'm strange enough that I'm reading old magazines and then trying to find out where the games went. So anyway, that's it for this week. I've rambled on long enough. My voice is still not 100% just yet from uh, from the cold I had. And I'm, I'm still having to pause the cough and all that. So Thank you for listening to all this rambling. I'm, I apologize it's not Warhammer related, but I figured we'd take a break and just chill and, and talk about this strangeness. Anyway, thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show, as well as Panhandle3D.etsy.com and my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling, always-doable Patreon patrons. I will see you next week.